In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward. Welcome to Moving Forward. I am your host this week, Krista Nepper, and this week my guest is Jim Harmon. Jim is the founder of EX2 Adventures. Jim, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Thanks for having me on the program. I'm really excited to have you here because I guess I would describe you as an accidental entrepreneur, maybe. And so I wanted to ask you, is this something you've always wanted to do? Did you always have a passion for entrepreneurship? Well, I think your description is pretty accurate, an accidental entrepreneur. Um, although I have was always kind of the little business business kid when I was growing up, I I grew up in a large family and I was the middle child and, um, and, uh, I always had the, you know, the little lemonade stand and, um, I had a paper route when I was a kid, I was 10 years old and, um, uh, I, I actually got business cards made up, um, for, for my paper route and I would go at age 10, wait, let's pause here at age 10, (laughs) at age 10. Yeah. Okay. It's funny. My I was my mom was telling me this story because I didn't really remember, and and she uh, she said, "Yeah, you had business cards, and you would go around in the neighborhood and to and knock on the doors and say, you know, hey, um, my name's Jim Harmon, and I I um, deliver the newspaper in this neighborhood, and um, I would love to de- deliver the the paper to you." And and on the business card, it actually said, "I promise to deliver your paper by six a.m. every morning," wow. and. Uh, and who can resist that? You know, a ten-year-old kid knocking oh, totally. on the door. So that's so professional. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's kind of, you know, when I was a kid, I, I did um, did that, and I couldn't even carry the newspapers back then. I was, you know, so I I, I, I had to carry uh, carry them in a wagon, and and uh, got up at four o'clock in the morning every day, and oh, wow. um, delivered newspapers seven days a week, and through rain and snow and all kinds of weather. And so it's pretty crazy. Wow. 4 a.m. for anybody I think is early, but for a 10 year old, especially who is growing and developing and needs his sleep, that's pretty astounding. Yeah. Well, I got an hour of sleep after I was done with my paper route before I actually had to get up for school. So yeah, I don't think that makes it better actually <laughs> as the one who needs her sleep. So right. let me ask you, so when you were younger, what drew you to adventure racing itself? Was there anything that you were passionate about as a kid that put you on that trajectory? Well, I, I was a military brat, so we moved a lot. And uh, we lived all over the United States, and we lived in Germany for four years growing up. And so I think I got the 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 new experiences was was great for me. I, I actually really loved moving every few years and uh, making new friends and um, experiencing new things and uh, being immersed in different languages and things like that. So. So that was always sort of a, uh, I guess a lot of military brats, they don't really like moving around all the time, but um, for me, it, it, was, it was great. And I guess that sort of helped or sort of uh, light the fire as far as my international travel is concerned. So I uh, really enjoyed traveling as, you know, once I got a little bit older and could do that on my own. And, and um, in college, I, I was always a big 
lover of maps and um, I just thought it was fascinating all the different places you could go and and see and experience and so in in college I was a geography major and I had a a minor in cartography and um, wait for our listeners can you explain what cartography is because I did not know what this was sure yeah I um uh, it's a map maker basically so uh, I uh, in college, they they taught us how to how to make maps, and then um, that's pretty much how I figured, pretty much what I wanted to do. At least what, that's what I thought I wanted to do with my life um, after after college. And I applied um, with a government agency and and became a cartographer for for five years after after college, actually, until I kind of moved on to um, different endeavors. So tell us a little bit about your international travel. You glossed over it briefly, but tell us, you were doing it sounds like as a kid, and it sounds like that is what sparked your interest in adventures, because you had the mindset where you saw everything as an adventure. So tell our listeners about um, when you went abroad, the year that you spent and took for yourself. Well, yeah, I... um I had, again, I would travel as a kid, um, and I'd been to, we lived in Germany, and I would go to Spain or to Italy or um, several countries in Europe um, uh, with my family or with the, the, you know, Boy Scout group going scuba diving in Spain, for instance, um, you know, back in the day uh, when I was living there. But I had started my, my job as a cartographer, and I took a, a, a little bit of a leave of absence, about six weeks, and uh, took a bunch of annual leave, and, and uh, then got some leave without pay, and, and, um, and spent six weeks backpacking across Europe. And it was just, I was amazed how uh, I met all these people from around the world, uh, young people generally, who were backpacking and, and experiencing the world. And um, I hadn't seen that before especially people who are doing it for an extended period of time. And uh, I just wanted more of it. And uh, it was amazing to me. It was thrilling to meet um, all these new people and, and to uh, visit all these different countries and, and have these different experiences. So I set out when I got back from that shorter trip to plan a year-long adventure around the world where I would visit I don't know exactly how many, but probably about 20 countries, I'd say, in the matter of a year. And I plan it from beginning to the end. And I told my work, where I was a cartographer, said, look, you know, I'm going to do this. I would love to come back to this job uh, if you guys would like to have me back. And, but if not, then that's fine, too. I'm just going to resign, and, and I'm going to go off and, and do my thing. And, and uh, it was pretty cool because they gave me the year that, that I was requesting. And, and I went off and I just did so many cool different things. Went all over Europe and northern Africa and India. Spent two months in Nepal uh, trekking and whitewater rafting and uh, getting immersed in the culture there. I uh, went to Australia and, and spent three months there just backpacking around and meeting all sorts of cool people, um, having crazy experiences horseback riding on the beach, bungee jumping, skydiving, trail running, and things like that, and New Zealand, Fiji, Hawaii, and then eventually made my way back into the United States where I met up with my brothers and we did a uh, cross-country trip. Um, Because the rest of it wasn't enough. You had to go (laughs) cross-country too. (laughs) Right, right. Right. So my brother had just graduated from college and so it was a great 
time timing wise, it worked out well for him to be able to do that. And my my other brother was in the military, and he had a little bit of time that he could spare, so we were able to make that work. Very cool. And so, when you came back, how did that international trip influence, and what was the catalyst for starting EX Two Adventures? Well. I think the main thing was just a sense of adventure for me and wanting those sort of new experiences was sort of in my blood at that point. As far as starting EX2 Adventures, it was, you know, a year alone is a long time and have a, a great opportunity to sort of really figure out what's important to you as an individual. And, you know, it sounds kind of cliche and, and a little cheesy to go to say, well, you know, hey, I went and found myself. But the reality is, is that's what happened, really. And I really figured out what was important to me when I was away and sort of alone with my own thoughts, meeting all these new different people and sort of seeing how lucky we were in the United States to lead the lives that we lead um, when there's a lot of different cultures around the world that aren't uh, quite as lucky as we are as, you know, from a, from a comfy aspect anyway. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So what happened that led you to AX2 Adventures though? Where were you working and what were the, the circumstances? So when I came back, I became an AmeriCorps member. Uh, this is one of the sort of the, the jobs that I had, um, and uh, my role was at a local university, George Mason University, where I um, worked in the Center for Service and Leadership, and I helped connect college students to volunteer opportunities in the community. So while I was there, I also worked part-time at the university's Center for Outdoor Education. That was a place called Hemlock Overlook, and, and at Hemlock, I worked as a team facilitator, basically. So we did team development and things like that. So uh, after my my stint with AmeriCorps, I became a full-time, or actually applied to become a full-time employee at Hemlock and for the Adventure Programs Manager position. And in the interview, the director had asked me, well, Jim, what would you like to do in this position as the adventure programs manager? And I, I said, well, you know, I'd really like to continue the rock climbing programs that you currently have, the paddling programs that you have, team development, of course. I'd like to start a freshman wilderness program. And then I'd also like to start an adventure race. And she had said, well, wow, that all sounds great. What's an adventure race? <laughs> That sounds so, like me starting this podcast when I said to my business partner, what's a podcast? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I had to explain to her what an adventure race was. It was a, And this was in the infancy of adventure racing. Yeah, and really. I would say for our listeners, would you explain? I know that there are a lot of people that are probably an enthusiast as far as adventure racing and even EX2. But for the rest of everyone, let us know what that is exactly. Sure. What we wanted to start was a was a sprint adventure race, or what I wanted to start, and and it, it turned out to be great. Um, and a sprint adventure race is just a, a one day, or it could be um, less than twelve hours, really, um, event. And this one turn is anywhere between eight and uh, twelve hour race that combines mountain biking, paddling, trekking, uh, and full navigation. So you're given a map, and you're given a whole bunch of checkpoints that are delineated on that map and you need to find those checkpoints in a particular order by a 
particular means of travel, whether that's on bike, in boat, or on foot. And there's some other, when you get in some of the longer races, they've got some other crazy things like um, you can go horseback riding, they'll have an element like that, or they'll have like whitewater kayaking or whitewater canoeing. But ours was going to be more on the beginner to intermediate level. And I think at that point, back in the late 90s when I proposed this, the only big adventure race that was around was um, the Eco Challenge. Yes. Which Mark Burnett, who created that, uh, and then after which he created Survivor and a whole host of other reality TV programs. But anyway, he started with uh, the Eco Challenge, and and that was... uh, very popular as a as an expedition adventure race, meaning it's several days in length and it's usually self-supported, meaning you had to carry all your stuff with you and uh, it's grueling and uh, a, a huge, just a big suffer fest, really. <laughs> like, I was thinking of feet when you were talking and I'm like, yeah, that definitely suffer fest is a good, good adjective yeah. to describe that. Yeah. But I think the goal is for people to discover who they are as... Uh, and test their limits and their boundaries or their self-perceived boundaries and try to to get on the other side of that. And I think that uh, it works. Well, I had a question for you relating back to that and what you were talking about when you were uh, abroad. You mentioned you had a lot of time as far as stillness and self-reflection. Do you still make time for that today? (laughs) That's a great question. Um, I try to. It's it's difficult. um, But the one thing that has not changed really is the values that I figured out were important to me way back when. That hasn't changed. And well, let's talk about that. So what did you learn as far as your own personal values from that trip and just going forward? Well, for me, I, I, I figured out that I really, really need to be challenging myself and really on all levels, uh, mind, body, spirit. I want to be pushing my limits and not sort of staying within my comfort zone. So that was a, that was a huge thing for me. And, and so that was one of my values. I also, I just love to have fun, you know, and, and, uh, I figured out, you know, why not? I mean, we only live once, right? It's uh, (laughs) let's, let's go and, and have some fun. And that's one of my values. And if, if people don't like it, that's their problem. I want (laughs) to And that sort of hand in hand with that is I want to have adventures. I want to, I want adventure to be a part of my life. And I think to wrap it all together, I really had an intense desire to make a difference in this world. Mm. And, you know, I saw different cultures. I saw a lot of struggle while I was traveling. I, I felt like while I did deal with some adversity uh, traveling, it's, it's really it pales in comparison to what a lot of people have to uh, endure around this world. So I thought that whatever I do in this life, it needed to make a difference, but it also needed to be challenging. It needed to be fun and need to be adventurous. Don't go anywhere, listeners. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. The Jenko Foundation is saving and transforming lives in Nigeria. Hi, listeners. This is Kristen Nepper with Moving Forward. And if you're in my hometown of Chicago, Illinois, we'd love for you to join us to learn more about this phenomenal organization. Our annual gala will be held on Friday, November 13th. Please join us to learn more about Jenko and their medical missions and their work with the Clinton Global Initiative. For more information, go to www.jenko.org to purchase tickets or donate today. So let me ask you, speaking of giving back and where that calling and mindset comes from, would you consider yourself spiritual? Would you consider yourself religious? 
And what would you say is the difference between those two? I think I'm constantly searching for the meaning in things. And uh, I do believe in God, you know, and I think that we all have a purpose on, in, this, in this world and we all have our unique gifts. The challenge sometimes is just trying to figure out what those gifts are yeah. and, and then being able to have the courage sometimes to be able to share that with others. I think that's so true. And for me, I know a lot of people will say, well, my you know purpose on the planet is to be the director of marketing or whatever it is. And it's not a job title. And I think that people really misconstrue what a purpose is. Yeah. You know, and it's hard to find that out. And sometimes, I mean, I, it's sometimes a lifelong search for people to try to figure out what that is. But, yeah. you know, it's different for everyone. Yeah, definitely. So what would you say that you do best? I think that, you know, I'm organized. Um, and as a race director, you have to be organized. So I think that I do well at that, keep kind of keeping everything in its... And then also I have a real sort of head for logistics, which is, sounds kind of weird, but... No, not at all. Taking a, a vision and kind of working backwards yeah, and figuring out what pieces need to be put into place to make that vision a reality. And I'm constantly dreaming, you know, I, I'm dreaming of cool new things to do, cool new races that we can do, a, a twist on an old race that we've done in the past. So I think that I'm good at that stuff. Also, I think that it's important, especially in what I do, is that I'm not afraid to take chances yeah. and ask for things uh, and the worst that someone can say is no, you know, and, yeah, even and the first no isn't always a no, you know, it's, <laughs> it's just, we just need to reframe it and maybe it'll become a yes. How did you learn that? Because that's a lesson that's very difficult for a lot of people, yours truly included. Well, you know, gosh, I, I'm really not sure. I just think growing up in a military family, um, and the one thing that I forgot to mention is that I've got six brothers and sisters. So yes. It was a constant negotiation, really. You know, <laughs> I sat in the eat. middle of the <laughs> dinner table. I had to pass. I was the third oldest. Okay. So almost right there in the middle. You know, it's the, yep. as close to the middle as you can get, right? Yep. And I had to pass the, the food. I was in the middle, so I had to pass the food from one end to the other. And Wait, did you guys sit in order of appearance? No, we didn't, okay. but somehow <laughs> I got stuck in the middle, and I don't okay. know how that happened. <laughs> I need to ask my parents. Yeah, that. seriously. Why did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> so you were a negotiator right off the bat. Yeah, I think I was. Um, and, you know, I always wanted to be the peacemaker as well. You know, mm, of yeah. course, you're growing up in a large family, you're going to have fights and things like that. Not to say that I didn't get in my share of them. I'm not perfect, but, um, but a lot of times I would try to make peace um, between uh, two of my fighting siblings. Yeah. So. Hey, Moving Forward listeners, if you're enjoying today's episode, consider supporting the podcast. You can purchase a copy of the Corporate Clichés Adult Coloring Book or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at bemovingforward.com. And along those lines, what's the hardest thing that ever happened to you as a child, as an adult? You know, there's a couple things that come to mind. I'd say the first one would be 
raising my child. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not the hardest thing that's ever happened to me because it was a choice that I had. Sure. But it, it's the best and hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. You know, I've got a five-year-old son and it's um, a constant struggle to create a nurturing environment where he can thrive and still feel independent. And it, this is new territory for me. It's, I don't, there's no yeah. guidebook for me, you know, so it's, it's, it's hard. It's so hard. And any parent out there will, will, will know that as well, but it's also the best thing ever that's ever happened to me too. So what I love about the answer is just your candor, because a lot of people wouldn't say that, but it's so true for everyone. Raising a child enlightening another human being is really the hardest challenge you're going to ever face. I think any of us on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. And what would you say, uh, kind of along those lines again, was an example of when maybe you failed, but it changed everything for the better. Back in college, I was a big soccer player. So I played soccer all through growing up in, in high school and college. I, went into tryouts my freshman year at Mary Washington College. It's now um, University of Mary Washington, where I went to school down in Fredericksburg, Virginia. But I tried out um, my freshman year, and I, I thought I, I, did, I did fine, um, and I thought I would have made the team. And I go up to the list um, at the end of uh, the tryout period and, and, and didn't see my name on there, and I was... I was heartbroken. I uh, I was really sort of devastated. And I went to the coach, though, and I said, you know, I don't know why I didn't make it. Could you enlighten me? Can you, you know, s- let me know sort of what I didn't do well or how I could improve because I really want to come back in, uh, next year and try out again. And so he gave me some pointers, some things that I could work on. And, and so I took those tips from him and, and worked real hard over, over that year while I was watching the team play from the sidelines. And I really, really wanted to be on the team. And, and so the next year I went out and I tried out again and, and I made it. And so I think that initial failure of not making the team, uh, while it was devastating, I think that it was also uh, a great uh, life lesson for me that, you know, you don't always get what you want. If you want it bad enough, you need to work hard for it. And uh, that's what I did. And, and I don't know if, if it still holds, but um, at that point, I was the only one in the history of uh, Mary Washington College to have been able to do that, you know, not make it your freshman year and then come back and, and actually make the team. So I was proud of myself for that too. How does that experience influence you when you parent? I was actually, and I'll give you the context for this, I was actually reading an article written by the dean at Stanford University the other day about how helicopter parenting has ruined the college experience in the sense that these children have never failed before because they've never been allowed to. And when any crisis arises, it's the parent that steps in. So how did that lesson shape you going forward and how you raise your own son? Well, you know, uh, my parents had seven kids, so they couldn't worry about any one too much, you know? <laughs> it was like, buddy, you know? Uh, but uh, I only have one child, so it's a little more difficult because, of course, we want to protect them and, yeah. and, and, and say, hey, everything's going to be fine and you're perfect and the whole thing. And, 
you know, um, and, uh, you know, it, it's a tough thing. It really is. And I think times have changed also oh, yeah. um, in, in that um, things have become very competitive sports-wise, uh, but, but academically as well. Now kids are coming out of high school with 4.5 GPAs. I mean, it's like, where did that 0.5 come from? I mean, exactly. back in my day, it was 4.0 is the best you could do. Yeah. I, I don't want to be overprotective and I want to give him the independence that he really, I think, is going to need. Um, I also know how difficult it was for, for my parents to kind of let go. And that's really what needs to happen. I know sitting in the airport when I was about to go away all around the world for a year, even though I was you know, in my 20s at the time, was not an easy thing for my parents. You know, They're letting their their child go into sort of the unknown. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I think you just need to trust that, you know, with it, your child, that you're going to instill the values that are going to be important. So when they do fail, they pick themselves up, brush themselves off and go back out at it, at it again. Yeah. I love that. My friend Deb said something very powerful to me about being a parent one time. She said, my ultimate job in this situation is to make myself obsolete. And that never left me. It really, it really struck me that, yeah, you want them to lean on you less and less and less and give them their own foundation and framework so that they can be a success. Right. That's yeah. a great way to put it. Yeah, the one thing that I didn't get to mention, which I thought I can see how it affected me. Yeah. Uh, and I think back on this all the time was that time that I had to shag balls. Oh, as, for the soccer. That? Yeah, 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 yeah. Soccer. And it kind of go went hand in hand with sort of, you know, when did you let, when did you fail and it changed everything for the better. It was very humbling and yeah. dealing with adversity like that, it was definitely front and center and not quitting, I think, because man, mm. I really wanted to quit. Yeah, I <laughs> you bet. You know, right then yeah. and there, I was like, I'm out of here, but I couldn't do that. It was just, it was too hard to get to that place in the first place. So how did you come about shagging balls, as you say? What, so you went and you spoke to the coach he said, you didn't make the team. These are the things you need to work on. So how did that transition work then? Well, what happened was my sophomore year on the, on the team, uh, I didn't start my sophomore year. And I, so I, uh, I was uh, coming off the bench, um, and I didn't really play that much at the beginning. Um, so uh, my coach, actually, we were, we were up like 3 nothing or something like that, and, and we were getting, getting into the second half. And my coach looked over at me and he said, hey, Jim. And I just got, you know, kind of excited and, and went over to him. I was like, oh, man, I'm going in. And uh, he's like, Jim, I really need you to, um, you know, my son, he's got he's to leave. He's got something, I think he's got a soccer game to go to or something like that. I need you to go over on the other side of the field and, and uh, shag the balls for the rest of the second half. And I just looked at him and I, I was like, okay. All right, breathe deep here. Um, yeah. All my friends are over there. Oh. I get laughed at and kidded and the whole thing. And I just looked at them and I just said, all right, no problem. So I went over there in full uniform and grabbed the ball and just ran up and down the sidelines while my friends were sort of taunting me, saying, hey, Jim, you're looking great out there, buddy. You know? Oh, God. Which, it yeah. was just really, really difficult 
situation for me. It was it was uh, embarrassing, super humbling, and it, it was crazy. But the other thing too is I'm I'm glad that I did it. You know, okay. I'm glad I didn't just quit on the spot. I had gone too far. I had come too far. I had worked too hard for that to be that. And I don't even think the coach thought it was a big deal either. And that's that's the weird thing. He just it was just sort of matter of fact. Yeah. But it's something I'll never forget. And I think that helped me deal with adversity, you yeah. know, as yeah. through the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, senior year, I came back and started every game and or most every game. And, yeah. and eventually towards the end of the year, I, I was an all-conference player on the, made the all-conference team. So, and I had a successful senior year. So it was, it was, it all worked out. It's so interesting to me. What comes to mind when you say that? I had a friend uh, I was having dinner with the other night, and he said to me, don't spend 20 minutes trying to get out of a five-minute job. And even though it's humiliating in the moment, and you don't want to do it, and you're being hazed by your friends, you know, if you had made a ruckus with the coach, you might not have had a career left. And to, you know, go on and be such a rock star your senior year, yeah, yeah, you know, 15, 20 minutes could have changed all of that. Yeah, I just had to suck it up and do it. You yeah, know. and I think that's the lesson for all of us is sometimes yep. we just have to suck it up and do it. <laughs> yeah, suck it up and do it. Mm. So when do you feel the most free? I think I know the answer to this, but I want to ask the question anyway. I love to be sort of in the zone. That's what I call it. I read a book actually you know, years ago, and it, I think it was called The Zone or just in, in the Zone or something like that. But the concept really hasn't escaped me. And it's the feeling of being completely, utterly focused mm-hmm. on something that you're doing, whatever it is. And whether it be, um, and for me, a lot of times you, you have to be focused in certain things or really bad things can happen. For instance, you must be very focused when you're rock climbing in certain situations. Mountain biking, surfing, any of those you will fall if you're not. Yeah, definitely. That's what came to mind. Mountain biking, you can't, and I do a lot of mountain biking, you can't just turn your brain off. And and that's also another reason I don't listen to music when I'm doing that stuff. I just, I need to be completely focused in my thoughts and, and what I'm doing. Agreed. I see people mountain biking with their iPods and I'm like, how do you do that? I mean, I don't know. Maybe there. If I was just going to go out for sort of a little spin, then it might be different. But I'm usually, you know, hitting it pretty hard. And when I'm going, and I, I want to sort of test myself. And I don't think music and mountain biking would work for me. Nor I. But to each yeah. his own. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you too. So, Ex2 Adventures this uh, fall and winter. What do you guys have coming up on the schedule? Well, we've got, uh, we just had a race two days ago, I believe, um, at Lake Fairfax. We've got three more races in the Fall Backyard Burn trail running series. Those are five or 10 mile trail running races. Um, And then we also have our off road half marathon at Prince William Forest Park uh, at the beginning of November. And so that's what's in store for us as as a business before the end of our season. Um, And then the off season, we're going to be planning for next year. We've already. We're actually already planning for next year, and we have been for several months because uh, you have to work um, about a year in advance for a lot of events, working with the parks and starting the permitting process. And so that's that's what we're going to be doing. And then, you know, personally, um, we're going to do a family ski trip, and I'm going to do a personal ski trip, and we'll find some fun adventures to get into this winter, I'm sure. That sounds good as well. So any of our listeners in the greater um, D.C. metropolitan area can check out EX2 Adventures. Jim, what is the website for that? EX2Adventures.com. And if anyone needs to get in touch with me, they can always email me at jim at EX2Adventures.com. 
So last question. One of my favorite quotes is, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. So what is your battle today? (laughs) That's a good question. I would say, really, it's always a struggle for me to just maintain the balance in my life. Mm. You know, it's, it's tough. You've got a family, you've got friends, you've got work. You know, of course, I love sport and, and travel and all those things. And, you know, I always want to be fully engaged in what I'm doing, um, fully present, fully mindful. And maintaining that balance is not easy, you know. So whether it's going out on a date night with my wife and, and making time for that or, or playing a board game with my son, it just really, you know, being, you know, working, um, being fully engaged in that. It really just trying to maintain that balance is really important for me. And actually throughout this interview, the, the one thing that I thought of that I hadn't really been able to touch on is, uh, and it pertains to balance, is, is with my wife. It's, you know, we have been together for 16 years, been married for 11 and she's been there from the very beginning. Mm. EX2 would not be what it is if it wasn't for her. You know, it's pretty amazing to have the love and support of someone. And I mean, cause I'll tell you, there's been plenty of times when I've woken her up at 2 o'clock in the morning with some crazy idea that I've... <laughs> and, you know, she's, she's been there to listen and give me her feedback and just be supportive the entire time. And then, of course, tell me to go back to bed. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I think that really without that balance that we've tried to create, it just won't work. And so it's, but it's always a struggle, you know, and I'm not perfect, but I, I do the best I can. Well, I think even just acknowledging that that exists puts you above the rest of the population because a lot of people think that they can still do it all or a lot of people are afraid to ask for help. And the fact that you do and that you're grateful for the partnership you have and what you receive, I think that that is step number one always. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty pretty cool. Jim, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, you're totally welcome. I really enjoy myself. Thank you. And listeners, thank you for being here as well. Good night and satnam. Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and BeMovingForward.com. All rights reserved.